Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Meet the Hamilton woman who has walked along every street in the city. Hamilton is getting millions of dollars to spruce up Barton Street. It's a happy 100th birthday for Leggett Auto Group. The Emergencies Act public inquiry begins on Thursday. Hockey Canada finally changing its senior leadership. And where do the Leafs land on the list of most dedicated fans? The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Well, it took eight years. Let me paint the picture here. Eight years for our next guest to do what she did. And what she did is absolutely remarkable. I would have never have thought to do anything remotely close to what she has accomplished. In eight years... This Hamilton woman has walked along every street in our city. Her name is Anita Joldersma, and she is, well, a Hamilton walker. Anita, welcome to the show. How are you? Hello, Anita. Do we have you? Yeah, I'm here. Hey, there you are. Yeah. Um, Take us back to day one of this journey. How and why did it all start? Well, the one is harder to say, but um, I, it started with a walk around the block on Labor Day of 2014. I decided I was going to try and get fit, and I didn't have the right shoes on. I didn't take water. I didn't have socks on, and a blister was starting, and it just went horribly uh, wrong. <laughs> and eventually, it took a little. I promised myself I'd get out, and after a couple of weeks, uh, I started, uh, yeah, it, it became more of a routine, and then one day it kind of clicked, and I decided to just keep walking on every single street. So how did you track this progress? It started with an HSR transit map, and I just would fill it in. And then, uh, so I finished the Hamilton Mountain. It took me two years, and then I walked uh, downtown. So then I finished Greater Hamilton in um, 2018. And then I kept going. Um, when I finished Hamilton, they said, you know, what are you doing next? And it's like, well, it would be crazy to do, you know, Flamborough. That would be ridiculous. But I kept going, you know, I did Glambrook and then Stony Creek. And then I did um, Ancaster and Dundas. And then I ended up in Flamborough last year and I finished it. Did you have a sense of how long this entire thing would take? Uh, I know that there are people who could do it a lot faster than I did. What I what I committed to was walking um, 10 miles a week. And so uh, by the time I got to the end, I had to drive a half an hour to get to a spot where I hadn't walked yet. So uh, I, I didn't want to you know, waste my time doing it you know, every day. But so once a week, I would get out and have a, a long walk. Unbelievable. Anita Joldersma is our guest. Anita has uh, walked every street in Hamilton. Took her eight years to do so. How did you handle new construction zones? Did you walk them or just say, hey, listen, that's not an official street. I'm not walking it. Uh, well, there's an app called uh, an app called Map My Walk, and I, it follows me by GPS, and it tells you where the roads are. And then um, it goes to City Strides, which is a, a website, which is awesome. It tracks all of the walks. So when I walked um, in in Germany uh, on a holiday, it tracked that walk. So it it's really nice to 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 look back at, at where you've walked, and so it was it was easy to to have a a goal when when you saw the little lines filling in on on the map. Uh, that is certainly some encouragement, especially as you're going from neighborhood to neighborhood and you're ticking off all these different areas of the city. Uh, do you have a final total on how many steps or kilometers or miles you walked in the city? Uh, no, and it's hard to say because so- some of the walking that I did wasn't part of my project. Um, 
like in the in the middle of winter. I committed to 10 miles a day, but the, like the roads were bad, the sidewalks, I couldn't even get out on the sidewalks. So we cleared a path on the driveway. And if I went up and down 166 times, I took care of uh, my 10 miles. So <laughs> it, it wasn't always part of the walking project, my walking I do. But yeah, so and right now, I'm I'm not walking part of a project. But like, I walked in West Lincoln and um, Brantford and uh, Grimsby, wherever my feet take me. Anita Joldersma is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. In eight years, Anita walked every street in the city of Hamilton. And you documented this in a blog as well. Yeah, it's called Confessions of a Street Pause Walker. <laughs> the pause is the pause is important, I guess. It's intentional because I don't want anyone getting the wrong idea. Yeah. Reading, they're not going to get anything um, salacious at all. It's, <laughs> it's just me walking. So, uh, yeah, it, a little tongue-in-cheek. Um, I, I, I post pictures, and I, I started TikToking. Now, I am not good at it at all, but I'm having a lot of fun with it. I was holding the camera the wrong way. I you know, forgot to pluck the chin hairs, you know, all that stuff that, you know, make sure your nose is clear and had bugs attack me. So I'm not great at TikToking, but it is fun. That is awesome. We got about 30 seconds. What was the first street? What was the last street? And how did you feel when you finally got done? Um, uh, there is no first street. The first one I finished on the mountain was uh, East 38th. And on the last one was John Martin Crescent in Flamborough. And, and the feeling must have been incredible. It was. It was It was wonderful. Well, Anita, congratulations. This is awesome. We're going to uh, check out the blog, and if everyone uh, does so, you can certainly do so. Google it as well. Uh, thanks for the time. And uh, I don't know, I guess Burlington or Toronto's next? <laughs> no, not that far. Just wherever my feet take me. <laughs> thanks for the time, Anita. Take care. Anita Joldersma is, uh, well, she's, she's walked every inch of Hamilton streets. An unbelievable story. Good for her. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Something big has happened, and it's happening here locally, and it's impacting a a pretty big street in this city. Federal government investing millions of dollars over the next couple of years in the city of Hamilton's Anything is Possible on Barton Project. And here to talk about it is Judy Lamb, the manager of commercial districts and small business with the city of Hamilton. Judy, good morning. How are you? Uh, I'm great. How are you? Not too bad. Thanks for joining us today. What is Anything is Possible on Barton? What's this project all about? Well, it's a, it's a whole neighborhood-wide art installation that's happening on Barton uh, starting in uh, very soon in October, and it will continue on until November. So when people come down and walk along Barton Village BIA, they're going to see all this uh, incredible artwork that's uh, going to be spanning the uh, the whole BIA. So this is a two-year investment by the federal government. It's over $23 million. Was there a bidding process, a competition to get this funding? How did, how did that all work? Yes, so cities and, you know, BIAs and other groups, uh, nonprofits, were encouraged to apply for funding under this project. And, you know, one of the... Uh, it was apparently extremely competitive because the money had to go across all of uh, communities across Ontario. So they they were very careful about what they chose because they want to spread it around. It was to encourage placemaking so that people, you know, part of um, after the pandemic, it was really an idea to 
to support placemaking so that people would come back to public spaces and, you know, help the businesses that had suffered throughout the pandemic. But they want to make sure the project supported, you know, the placemaking strategies in that area and that it would support economic and social benefits for equity-seeking groups. Years and years ago, and you will know this, Barton Street was a very vibrant street and things were really happening. And over the last you know, couple of decades, it's really fallen down in terms of you know, a, lot of, a lot of stores closing, being boarded up. Uh, parts of this street uh, need some uh, you know, a, a reinvigoration. Is this project going to do it? Yeah, so the, the art projects are going to be installed in vacant storefronts. And the idea is there is so much potential to bring, you know, to reimagine the street, but understanding the history of this area. It was a very, as you said, vibrant area that had lots of commercial and, you know, because it's near industrial, it was, it was the shopping district for people who lived there and went to work. And so, yes, there's been more vacant storefronts than in, uh, in its history. And we would like, this project to sort of bring people to see the potential of this area. And we're seeing the uh, resurgence or revitalization already. There's, there's new restaurants and shops that are opening on Barton. And so by showing up where these storefronts are, that you can uh, show the opportunities that exist, that, you know, this, this is a, a, a revitalization that's coming back. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Judy Lamb, Manager of Commercial Districts and Small Business with the City of Hamilton. And we're talking about the Anything is Possible on Barton Project, which is receiving over $23 million over the next two years from the federal government to give it a give it a lift, give it a bit of a boost. The city has done a phenomenal job at reinvigorating places like James Street North, uh, Lock Street comes to mind, Ottawa Street North. Is the same kind of pattern or system or framework going to be used on Barton? Well, we're doing a, a little bit different. The, the uh, project was uh, also approved on Ottawa Street BIA and Stony Creek BIA. And there we are um, having artists design uh, wraps for the traffic utility boxes. And they will be unique in, in that they're all uh, individually designed by um, artists. So now when you walk on those two BIA streets, you're going to see more artists. And so the the project, you know, that, that money is being spread across many communities across Ontario. But it is to encourage, you know, the, the idea that we want to s- submit proposals that took into account our local uh, Hamilton artists. Is there any idea on how this these art installations are going to encourage business or potential business owners for setting up shop on, on Barton? Is there a goal in mind? Yes, and I said, I think um, when people come down and uh, this, you know, word gets out that uh, they're going to walk on Barton, they're going to see that potential and see the people the residents come from, you know, not only Barton, but we're we're hoping to draw people from all over the city to come back down to Barton and take a look at the street and the very interesting shops and restaurants that are opening up. And then they might, those that are interested in uh, opening up a, a business, will look at that opportunity. And then 
the other advantage that we have is in our section, we introduced a new, some new programs uh, last fall. And they can take advantage of those, um, you know, whether it's facade grants. But we have a, a program that is uh, only available for two years since last year altogether, and it's called Commercial Vacancy Program. And we can provide a matching grant to businesses that take up an empty storefront uh, as when they put in permanent leasehold improvements. So that's another um I guess, uh, advantage that if you, they want to invest in um, an empty storefront, that we can help them with the cost. I'm very much looking forward to a revitalized Barton Streets, and uh, I'm sure many of our residents are as well. Judy, really appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Judy Lamb, Manager of Commercial Districts and Small Business with the City of Hamilton, as we talk about anything is possible on Barton, and let's hope that is the case. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Leggett Automotive Group, marking 100 years of delivering a full range of automotive services to communities throughout southern Ontario. 100 years. That is unbelievable. Doug Leggett is second-generation owner of Leggett Auto Group and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Doug, good morning. Good morning, Rick. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you? Well, I'm still here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good. Yeah. Take us back to when it all began in 1922 when your father, Roy Leggett, got into the automotive selling business. How did it all begin? Well, he... uh started in the business with Ruggles Trucks in 1922, and then became a GM dealer, and then became a Chrysler dealer in the corner of Bay and King. And he had both sides, uh, south and uh, uh, north, uh, for the showroom. And, uh, uh, you know, he got up every morning at 6 in the morning and got the furnace and stoked the stove so... It would be warm for people when they came in. From what I understand, your grandmother gave him a loan. His mom gave him a loan to start this. That's correct. She loaned him $3,500 to get started, and that's when the horse and buggy was out there. Wow. Was he was he taking a leap with the vehicle? Did he share any stories about you know some nervous moments or some, some amazing moments? Well, I think he was amazing uh, because uh, it was... It was a business that hadn't started yet. I mean, we were still in the horse and buggy stage. And he came off the farm and uh, and started on his own and and uh, kept her going. And thus, uh, Brian and I uh, have carried on in the automobile business, and uh, we now are 100 years old. I'm not 100 years old, by the way. <laughs> no, I know that. I'm close, but not, <laughs> not there yet. When did you get involved in the business, and was it just a natural thing for you? Well, yeah, I came off uh, the school and uh, went into the business with my dad, and then an opportunity came up in Burlington to uh, take the General Motors dealership on, which I did. That was in 1968. And, uh, you know, we were on Brand Street at that time, and we expanded to the extent that uh, we had to build a new place up on Fairview Street next to the GO station. So uh, between Brian and I, we've been 55 years, I guess, uh, 
on my side of this uh, of the equation. Wow, that's incredible. Doug Leggett, second-generation owner of Leggett Auto Group, celebrating its 100th anniversary this year, is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. We know that Leggett Auto Group, a big supporter of the CHML Children's Fund, has made philanthropy a big part of its legacy. Why was that so important to give back to the community? Well, Brian and I both felt that, uh, in particular when I started, that uh, the community is where we made our money and the people that were there, and we wanted to give back to the hospital and to the community foundation and the theater and the library, et cetera, uh, to move on in Burlington. And that's what we've done, and we're very proud of it. Leggett Auto Group has a new brand. It's called Drive Life. Tell us about it. What's it all about? Well, Brian started at Drive Life, and Drive Life is, uh, Brian now has 13 dealerships, and uh, we take uh, the amount of money per, per car that is sold in each area, and that we give away to that, that community. Uh, and fortunately for Burlington, we have five dealerships there. So he decided that Drive Life was very going to be very important, and that's what our advertising is from here on in. That is an amazing initiative, giving back to the community in so many unique and wondrous ways. Doug Leggett is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, second-generation owner of Leggett Auto Group, celebrating its 100th anniversary here in 2022. We've seen so many vehicle advancements and enhancements over the last century. What does the next 100 years have in store for us? Yeah, that's a wonderful question, and I wish I could answer it properly, but we're going to go into electrification, and we already have in uh, in our dealership in Burlington uh, all set up for it. Uh, so we're looking for the first one we're going to get is the Lyric, I think, and uh, which is a Cadillac, and it's electric. So that's that's going to be the new uh, era, and and uh, you know I, I'm concerned about uh, have we got enough hydro to handle all this, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it should be very interesting. Very much so. Looking forward to it. Do you have an all-time favorite vehicle that you've sold? You've sold hundreds of thousands of vehicles. Do you have an all-time favorite? Well, I like that Cadillac little XLR. That was kind of fun to drive, and uh, it's a beautiful-looking little car. And and we have a couple of them out there that we have purchased for, for our antique uh, section. So that's that's been my favorite car. Excellent. Hey, if you're looking for a new or pre-owned vehicle, go visit the Leggett Auto Group, and you will be uh, helping the Drive Life Initiative and uh, certainly uh, you know, continuing on the wonderful legacy that Roy Leggett started all those years ago. Doug, really appreciate your time. Congratulations on a fantastic 100 years and all the best in the next 100. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you to CHML and Rick yourself. You've been a great uh, uh, proponent of Hamilton. Likewise. Thank you, Doug. Okay, thank you. Doug Leggett and the Leggett Auto Group, uh, big donors in the community, and uh, including the CHML Children's Fund, and we're happy to have them on board each and every year, contributing and making uh, the Christmas season that much, and really all year long, that much more enjoyable for less fortunate individuals in our community. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The public inquiry into the federal government's unprecedented use of the Emergencies Act begins tomorrow. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, some of the so-called Freedom Convoy organizers are expected to testify. And this whole inquiry is going to examine the government's decision at the end of the day 
to grant police emergency powers, unprecedented powers, back on February 14th, to disperse all those vehicles, all those trucks, and the protesters in Ottawa. What is going to be the end result, and what should we expect to hear over the next few days and weeks? David Terrence is the Vice President at National Strategic Communications at Enterprise Canada and former communications strategist in the office of Prime Minister Stephen Harper and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. David, welcome back to the show. How are you? Hey, good morning, Rick. Thanks for having me. Uh, as you know, dozens of witnesses are expected to testify, including the Prime Minister. Um, Ottawa Mayor Jim Watson is going to be there. We'll hear from former Ottawa Police Chief Peter Slowly, uh, some of the convoy organizers. Uh, let's start with Trudeau. What do you expect to hear from him? I, I would guess more of the same. Uh, absolutely more of the same. Uh, I, I, what I do think is that there's a difference in Trudeau, though, is he seems almost eager, certainly keen, to appear before the inquiry. And to be clear, this is out of character for Trudeau. If you think about all the steps that he took and his party took to shut down inquiries into the SNC-Lavalin scandal, into the Liberal We Charity scandal, uh, how they put together a sham inquiry into the Nova Scotia mass shooting and the government's, and the government's mismanagement of that. You know, this is a government that's gone out of its way, and the premise was out of its way to avoid answering tough questions in public. Uh, yet he seems quite keen and quite almost eager to answer questions for this one, which I think is a, a bit of a tell. I, I think he had to testify. I mean, it would have been a very bad look if he did not. He called the inquiry. So be clear, like, you know, you, uh, of course he had to testify. Um, but uh, I'd say, you know, I think this the inquiry is going to be, it's, there's a few interesting things about it. And one of them, which is, um, you know, the only people who I say are sympathetic to uh, to the the convoy and what the, what people in the convoy are behind are the people like Tamara Lich and P, and, and Pat King who are quite frankly awful people. Whereas there's going to be a litany of people to to uh, to reinforce the national security establishment. What the prime minister was saying, I think he realized that he has an opportunity here to actually box in his political opponents um, and and tell the story because listen, don't, the people who are enraged by the emergency act. They're not going to change their mind. Inquiry's not going to change their mind. Um, there's a whole lot of people who are enraged by the by the convoy. Like, who, who are the undecided people on this issue? Um, but, but certainly, if he can use this, use the inquiry to score some points against uh, Pierre Polyever, who was a vocal supporter of the convoy, I think I expect you, the prime minister actually plays some offense. Quite frankly, when he appears, when it comes to the convoy protesters or organizers who are going to be testifying. Uh, to be honest, I have no idea what is going to come out from them, and, and maybe just like February, it's going to be it's going to be somewhat of a circus. Well, well, listen. I mean, the the identified the people who have been identified in the news as the key organizers of the convoy again, your Tamara Litches, your your Pat Kings, have a lit have a long litany of being quite frankly awful people, saying belligerent things, conspiracy theories, racism, like you know um, that they're the ones who are going to be. Uh, Say representing the uh, the contra view to Trudeau's view of the inquiry, um, I think it actually breaks well. And again, uh, if it comes out that that the prime minister was rash to invoke the emergency the emergencies act, well, whose actually opinion is going to be changed by that? The people who are enraged by this decision are already enraged by this decision. The people who back him already back him. Uh, you know, I think one of the biggest mistakes, quite frankly, in this process was in the, the inquiry denied standing to the Conservative Party 
to actually ask questions representing a bunch of people who are, uh, who, who again, who are not crazy racists, who actually were sympathetic to some of the issues the convoy is fighting for, but that ship has sailed. Um, and you're going to have Justin Trudeau versus Pat King. I tell you right now, Justin Trudeau likes that matchup, and Justin Trudeau is going to try to say, make it Justin Trudeau versus Pat King slash Pierre Polyev. I expect he's going to be quite aggressive, actually. Got a couple more minutes with David Tarrant, Vice President at Enterprise Canada, former communications strategist in the office of Prime Minister Stephen Harper here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. We know that some sensitive cabinet documents are expected to be presented to the commission. There's there's no word whether they'll be made public. But at the end of the day, what do you think the end result is going to be? Is it going to be a tweaked or redefined Emergencies Act? And, and that's about it? I think that's the most you can hope for. Uh, I, I think the grounds, I think it, even, even if things will be tweaked, yeah, I think is, is, is ambitious. I think there's going to be clarification about the circumstances in which a government uh, is obligated or, or entitled to invoke the Emergencies Act. Um, you know, it, it, if you get the, the motions run high in this issue, Rick, because people believe that the Freedom Convoy was a noble response to a massive government overreach. And just people who say these are a bunch of belligerent, violent racists and conspiracy theorists who are trying to overthrow the government. And I'm not here on your show to, to, bridge, to, to bridge that gap. Um, what, I, what I will say was, was you know, of, of all the activities that were taken, right, during, during that last winter, um, the biggest threat to Canada's national security wasn't that there was a bunch of trucks in downtown Ottawa. It was when other other protesters tried to shut down border crossings, which actually was a threat, right? And and and, and so I'm actually looking to see, in terms of, you know, hearing more about that, um, you know, what actually constitutes a threat to national security, and 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 what actually what actually was uh, additional police powers? Why, why were additional police powers necessary uh, when the police have massive powers already? To protect the peace, uh, these are the kind of things I'm looking for. But but really, from a political standpoint, uh, I don't expect to see a moment of contrition or self-reflection from the prime minister. I expect the message that these were awful people who wanted to overthrow our government. They were racist. They were belligerent. They were violent. Uh, oh, by the way, my chief political opponent supports them, mm-hmm. and I will I will I will defiantly sit here and stand and say I'll do it again. Because the people who are angry about this are already angry about this, and they ain't going for Justin Trudeau. Yeah. Uh, I would, I'd be very surprised if we see any contrition or self-reflection from the Prime Minister at all. I agree with that prediction 100%. David, we got to run. We're plumb out of time. I appreciate your time this morning. Thanks, Rick. Uh, Lead Commissioner Justice uh, Paul Rulo, by the way, is uh, leading the commission and has until mid-February pretty much a year after the fact, to deliver its uh, final report to Parliament. So that'll be interesting to see if anything does come from it. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Hockey has been in the headlines really for all the wrong reasons the last number of weeks as the fiasco at Hockey Canada has dominated the discussion. While that story won't go away anytime soon. There are other things to discuss when it comes to Canada's national pastime. The NHL season is underway. A couple of games were held in Europe. Two more games were played last night. Of course, the Leafs and their fans gearing up for Toronto's season opener tonight in Montreal against the rebuilding Canadians. Joining us to talk all things hockey is Ryan Kennedy, senior writer with the Hockey News. Ryan, good morning. How are you? 
I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Some quick thoughts on the Hockey Canada situation. Now that CEO Scott Smith and, and the entire board has resigned, while it's a move that signals change, I'll say that you know much of the real work uh, to change the culture in the sport need, still needs to be done. But this is going to be a lengthy process, I would imagine, right? I would think so. And, and obviously, it's crucial that they get it right this time. I think what this offers Hockey Canada is a bit of a, a blank slate where they can look at some areas where they were clearly deficient uh, with the, the past regime um, in terms of just, you know, gender equity issues and, um, you know, I would say crisis management, really. Uh, and, you know, to look outside of the usual boundaries of where they might find uh, people for their board. I, I think, you know, certainly you want to have people familiar with the hockey industry, but, you know, because this is such a sort of high-ranking corporate position, I, I think you can kind of look outside of, of even sports and just look for good governance, best practices, things like that. Uh, and at the same time, let's not forget that there are still some some pretty big scandals ongoing with the organization that, you know, cannot be buried. And that's what the you know, the previous regime tried, and, and obviously it was a colossal failure, uh, you know, both morally and just, you know, actually covering it up. Um, so there's a lot of work to be done, but hopefully they can, they can find the right people to do so. Do you think the decision by Bauer on Tuesday uh, to, to pull out their partnership with Hockey Canada was the last straw for the board, or was it, do you think, a culmination of everything that led to the mass resignation? Well, I definitely think it was uh, the last straw where, you know, they had lost all of their elite sponsors already, and then they lose their, their equipment partner. Like, literally, they didn't have any backers left. And, you know, I mean, Hockey Canada has been a, a huge moneymaker over the years because Canadians love hockey, let's face it. And the teams, whether it's men's, women's, or juniors, have all been very successful. Um, so, I mean, financially, they were doing uh, – a decent job but if you lose all of your sponsors uh there's not really anybody left to uh to have your back there so yeah once bauer pulled out i mean they had nothing left so it, it, it would have been very difficult to imagine them carrying on without anybody in their corner last thing on the hockey canada thing how quickly or maybe how slowly might be more accurate do you think the sponsors start to come back i think they're going to need some time uh, and, you know, it'll depend on the, the individual sponsors, but I think they're going to want to see real change. I'm sure they're going to want to see, you know, not only what the full board looks like, but who's in charge of that board. You know, who are the senior leaders uh, within that board of directors? So I, I think it's going to take some time. And again, they're going to have to earn the trust back of not only the, the corporate world, but obviously the, the general public as well. Ryan Kennedy is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Ryan is a senior writer with The Hockey News. You can check out all his writings and a bunch of other great articles online, thehockeynews.com. On to the start of the NHL season. Seems like it was just yesterday that Colorado had won the Stanley Cup. Should they be the favorite to win again? My only concern with Colorado is their goaltending. And, you know, I mean, their goaltending just had to be good last year. It didn't have to be great, and they actually used uh, you know, a couple of because starter Darcy Kemper got hurt during the playoffs. Um, but they they lost Kemper, and I think they kind of have two backups right now in, in Pavel Francouz 
and Alexander Georgiev. Um, I'm looking at sort of Carolina and Edmonton and, and maybe the New York Rangers uh, as the teams that to me look the most dangerous where they have all the elements or almost all the elements. I think Colorado is going to be in the mix for sure. I think they'll probably make a, a fairly deep run, but I'm a little worried uh, about their offseason losses because on top of, you know, Kemper, they lost Nazem Kadri as well, who was so crucial uh, to their success last year. What is the first thing that jumps out to you when you think of the 2022-2023 Toronto Maple Leafs? And please tell me it's a first-round playoff series winner. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's the hope for all the fans, right? I mean, for me, it's all about the goaltender. You know, you get two new guys coming in, Matt Murray and Ilya Samsonov. You know, both have a lot to prove, but both had really great pedigrees a couple of years ago. So, I mean, if the goaltending holds up, uh, then I think they'll be in great shape because we know they have the firepower and we know the defense has steadily improved over the years. Uh, but that's a tremendous X factor. And both were good in the preseason, so that's a good sign. But it really all hinges on that. You mentioned Edmonton a couple of minutes ago. Are they, are they the Canadian team with the best chance to win the Cup? I would think so. And, you know, I, in terms of goaltending, I, I think that they – uh, made a step up in the offseason, getting Jack Campbell, who, of course, was with Toronto last year. I think he's a little more consistent than than Mike Smith was uh, for the Oilers last year. And then, you know, you look at the elements they have, led by Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. You'll have a, a healthy Darnell Nurse. You know, obviously, he was really banged up in the playoffs. So I, I could certainly see Edmonton making a run to the final. It's going to be exciting, and it's already underway. Leafs and Canadians later on tonight. That should be a fun one to watch, and uh, all season long as the National Hockey League is back with a bang. Ryan, always appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. That's Ryan Kennedy, senior writer with the Hockey News. Leafs, Habs tonight, and on we go. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, the NHL season is underway. It gives hockey fans a renewed sense of optimism, or at the very least, a few months of entertainment. While only a handful of games have been played, fans of some teams should be rightfully excited about their chances of going all the way, while others already have a sense that the 2022-23 campaign is going to be a long and tough road. It begs the question, which fan bases in the National Hockey League are the most dedicated? No matter what, win or lose, these fans are sticking with their team through thick and thin. I wonder which fan base would be at the top of the list and which would be in the basement. Well, OntarioBets.com has done just that. They've compiled a list of the most dedicated fans of NHL teams, and the results, in some cases, may surprise you. Lou Monaco is a writer with OntarioBets.com and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Lou, good morning. How are you? Pleasure to be with you, Rick. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Let's start with the basics. How was this list compiled? Well, what we did is what we try to do at Ontario Bets and a lot of the other state sites that we have back in the United States, we try to develop some new features. So we wanted to see the most dedicated NHL fans that are out there surveying all the 31 teams that are in the league. So we first did a category. We used a couple of websites. We used Social Blade. We used Google Trends. Excuse me. And we also used a lot of the social media platforms that are out there, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and also YouTube of each team. So we broke it down into two categories, and then we added up those two categories and gave them an overall uh, ranking, overall points, total points. So the first category was down to game day commitment. 
We didn't use the, the COVID seasons of 20, uh, 2019 and 2020. And we used the amount of ticket searches in the state for that team, utilizing all the uh, previous websites that I spoke of before. Um, we also used NHL.com as far as the attendance numbers and Google Trends to find the amount of ticket searches that people actually wanted to go to a game who actually did it and so on. So once we determined that, we gave a team with the best game day commitment. It was given a, uh, a total high ranking of 31 points with the lowest having one point. The second category was called fan engagement which we waited the grouping of all those social platforms that I mentioned earlier over the past five years. Obviously, social media is huge for professional teams and organizations, and they use it to promote a lot of different uh, games, seasons, uh, trends, player profiles, things of that nature. So we had the engagement rate of each of the NHL social media accounts, and then we used Social Blade to incorporate all the other ones, Facebook, TikTok, and Twitter, and then we gave a fan engagement uh, point category. Again, 31 points for the highest and one for the lowest. And then we came up with a total amount uh, of points for each of the teams. And the 31 point total is there because Seattle was not included in this compilation because we just don't have enough data to go on. They've only been in the league you know, for a very short time. So the top five, and, and I should mention this as well, the perfect score in this scenario is 62. And the, and the team at the top of the list actually has a perfect score when it comes to both fan engagement points and those game day commitment points. At number five, if we're going to top five, Boston with 51 points. Montreal is next with 53. The Leafs have 57 in third place. Pittsburgh is second with 58. And a perfect 62 score is the Chicago Blackhawks. Are any of those uh, in that top five a surprise to you? Well, I think, first of all, I think you have uh, three teams that are of the original six, right? So their fan base is so deep and so rooted that it doesn't even matter if in previous seasons they, they had bad years, bad records, uh, bad player acquisitions, things of that nature. So those three, the core three of the core six are in there. And the other ones obviously have won Stanley cup championships before, uh, the, the penguins obviously are still up and coming. They're still absolutely very relevant into the, uh, with, with the league and with the Eastern conference. So those are going to be big, uh, big time players on each team and also big time fan engagement and, uh, attendance as far, as far as, uh, games are concerned at their home arenas. Absolutely. Lou Monaco is our guest here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Lou is a writer with OntarioBets.com. They've compiled a list of the most dedicated fan bases in the National Hockey League. Chicago, Pittsburgh, Toronto, Montreal, Boston, the top five. That's one through five. The bottom five, probably not a surprise. Ottawa and Carolina tied for 27th. Columbus is 29th. Florida 30th. And lowly Arizona at number 31. No surprises here at all. No surprises, but... <clears throat> I, I took a look at Fan, uh, FanDuel Sportsbook, uh, their Stanley Cup future odds, and the Florida Panthers are actually <laughs> the fourth favorite in the league to win the Stanley Cup this year. <laughs> so their odds are currently at plus 1,100. The defending uh, NHL Stanley Cup champions, the Avalanche, are plus 450. The Hurricanes are plus 1,000, and the Maple Leafs are plus 1,000 tied with the Hurricanes. But I just thought that it was pretty interesting that the Florida Panthers, who are actually... They are 58 points behind the Blackhawks as far as 
most dedicated fans. Wow. But they're actually the fourth favorite to win the Stanley Cup this year. I just found that a little bit interesting. Now, among the other Canadian teams on this most dedicated fans list, uh, number 12, Winnipeg. Edmonton is 13th. Vancouver, 14th. Calgary's tied for 17th. And a lot of Sabres fans in this neck of the woods. Buffalo is listed at 19th. Uh, Lou, we'll have to leave it there. Thanks for uh, the insight into this list. It's uh, it's really interesting to go through all the teams and where they rank and enjoy the rest of the NHL season. Thanks so much, Rick. Uh, enjoy the season as well. That's Lou Monaco, writer with OntarioBets.com. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.